What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted or hungry, or destitute or in danger, or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? These are questions that seem to be begging for an answer. What is our response? What is your response? What is mine? This morning, as we look at these verses together, perhaps we can search for answers. We're going to focus mainly on the last verses of this chapter, verses 31 through 39. But before we go to that section, I would like for us to talk about a little background information regarding Romans chapter 8. We've read the entire chapter this morning, and and I would like to um, mention a few things. Many classify Romans 8 as the greatest passage within what many scholars believe and consider to be the greatest book in Scripture. The scholar Douglas Moo wrote, that Romans 8 is the inner sanctuary within the cathedral of Christian faith. The ancient Puritan church father, the divine Thomas Drax, wrote that Romans 8 is the tree of life in the midst of the Garden of Eden. In my personal experience, one of the finest sermons which I ever heard in my lifetime was preached by Brother Richard Rogers the great scholar and teacher from Sunset School of Preaching, and he preached on Romans 8. In other words, today we are just going to begin to scratch the surface of the powerful message of this beloved chapter of God's Word. We are definitely treading on sacred ground. And before we dig into the last few verses of the chapter, let's look at the context of the chapter, if we could. The Greek Greek word which we translate as spirit is the word pneuma, and it occurs 21 times in Romans 8. If you are able to focus on the readings, you heard the word spirit over and over. And all but two of these references in Romans 8 refer to the Holy Spirit. The spirit is mentioned more in this chapter than any other in the entire Bible. And I would submit that Paul's focus is not so much on the Spirit as such, but on what the Spirit does. The Spirit is best known in his ministry on behalf of Christians. What the Spirit does can be summed up in a single word. What it provides is assurance. This entire chapter speaks of our assurance in Christ. Paul begins this train of thought in verse 1 by telling us that there is now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he finishes it triumphantly in verse 39 by concluding that there is no separation from the love of God. In many versions of the Bible, if you read your Bible as it's laid out, it might divide the chapter into sections. And I might divide those sections as in, in this way. Verses 1 through 13, we might call the spirit of life. Verses 14 through 17, the spirit of adoption. Verses 18 through 30, the spirit of glory. In the last, last section, verses 31 through 39, we might say this is the believer's security celebrated. Or perhaps we might just call it a hymn of triumph. As Tommy has taught us over the years, the word therefore has some meaning. And in the first word of the, of the chapter, chapter 8, the word therefore is found. And that indicates that Paul is about to draw a conclusion. The final powerful concluding statement is probably intended to summarize Paul's discussion of Christian assurance in Romans chapters 5 through 8 as a whole. Now what lessons can we learn from Romans 8 verses 31 through 39? Verse 31, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 31 says that God is on our side. The connotation is that he is working on our behalf. We might say, well, what specifically has God done for us? Psalm chapter 46, verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Is Paul saying that no one will ever oppose us? No. Paul knows this from personal experience, and he picks up that discussion in verse 35 of this chapter. Opposition to believers is varied and intense. However, no body and no thing can ultimately harm or stand in the way of the one whom God is for. Verse number 32 of Romans 8. How does God demonstrate this? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? God being for us has its deepest demonstration in his giving his own son for us. A demonstration that should leave no doubt about his commitment to be for us, right up to and including the very end. God has not given empty promises. 
In Genesis chapter 22, verse 12, God says to Abraham, You have withheld, excuse me, you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And God has not withheld his own son from us. What has been your greatest gift that you have ever received in your life? What has been the greatest gift that you have ever given in your life? Does this gift involve your children? The greatest gift any parent can give their child is to encourage them in their faith in Jesus Christ. What is God's greatest gift to mankind? John chapter 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The simple verse we may have learned in Bible class or we may see on Sunday afternoons when the sign is held up in the, in the, in the end zone of the football game. Romans 8.32, Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? In verses 33 and 34, Paul continues his theme of assurance with a legal illustration. As he paints a picture of a courtroom drama, he reminds us, Paul points out, who is the witness for our defense. Isaiah chapter 50, verses 8 and 9. He who gives me justice is near. Who will dare to bring charges against me now? Where are my accusers? Let them appear. See, the sovereign Lord is on my side. Who will declare me guilty? All my enemies will be destroyed like old clothes that have been eaten by moths. Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and 34. Who dare accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us, was raised to life for us, and is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Jesus pleads for us on the Father's behalf. These verses should encourage us that once we find forgiveness, once we find that pardon, that there is, there is no one that can reopen the case against us. There is no such thing as double jeopardy. Consequently, no contrary verdict need be here need be feared. Once we have been declared innocent in Christ, he continues to plead for us to the Father. Psalm chapter 87, verse 6. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples. This one was born in Zion. This verse, Psalm chapter 87, was put to music by a gentleman a few years ago by the name of Wayne Watson, he wrote this song. This one was born in Zion. Make no mistake, this one is mine. This one is born in Zion. This one will never die. We are now his. We belong to him. In verses 35 and following, Paul asks, a series of questions, and, and it's a literary technique which we might call rhetorical questions or rhetorical language, questions that he doesn't necessarily give us an answer to. 
verses 35 and 36. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. This type of logic was a common practice of writing and speaking in Paul's day. It was an effort to sway and convince an audience of a certain type of thought. And Paul chose this device not only for the content which is found, but also because of a desired effect to move the reader to a certain reaction. He's not just conveying information, but he's trying to persuade us to accept what he says is true and allow it to transform the way we think and live. By asking us a question, he is asking us to stop and consider the matter. And he gives us examples which are concrete for us to ponder. He says, can anything separate us from Christ's love? Trouble, calamity, persecution, hunger? Are we destitute, in danger, threatened with death? Can any of those things separate us? from Christ's love. He crafts this list for us to think about. And in verses 37 through 39, we come to the crescendo of this discussion, the, the song that we sang, the, the famous verse that, we, that we, many of us have committed to memory. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love that God is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The the scholar F.F. Bruce wrote that, that a more literal translation of this phrase, more than conquerors, might be super conquerors. We have many movies out these days about superheroes. I mean, I think there's even one that's come out recently, perhaps this week, about Captain America. Well, we have superpowers through Christ who loved us, even greater than Captain America, believe it or not. Martin Luther said it this way, It is Christ's love that makes us triumphant through our love to him. He loved us first. And he still loves us first. He loves us not because we love, but he loves, therefore we love. Because he first loved us. John chapter, excuse me, 1 John chapter 4 verse 10. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And in these verses of Romans 8, Paul is speaking out of personal experience. He has experienced many of these things, many of these threats of hardship, of danger, of death. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15, Jesus spoke to Ananias in a vision. Ananias was on his way to preach to Paul and to teach him about Jesus. And he called Paul, Jesus called Paul his chosen instrument to carry his name to all the people. Will we have doubts? Will we have troubles? 
Will we face hostile powers and forces and hazards? Of course we will. Even Jesus' disciples struggled with this very concept. In John chapter 8, Jesus taught his disciples about this very struggle. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? These words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the works that I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, obey my commandments. Then I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot recognize him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Skipping down to verse 23 of John chapter 14, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love me. And we'll come to them and we'll love them and come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. The key is that those who receive these blessings are those who have obeyed his commands, those who are his adopted children, his heirs, those who are in Christ, those who belong to Christ. What conclusions can we draw, and what is our response? What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Paul does provide us with answers to many of these questions. For those who are in Christ, nothing can separate us from God's love. What's the worst thing that has ever happened to you in your life? Or what is the worst thing you can think of that you have ever done? That cannot separate you separate you from the love of Christ. We can have complete comfort, confidence, and absolute proof of our salvation through the unconditional, unbreakable love of our Father as demonstrated through His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Death Valley, California, there's a place that is called Badwater Basin. Here's a picture of the sign. It's 282 feet below sea level. It's the lowest point in North America. And Badwater Basin happens to be 84.6 miles to the northwest 
of Mount Whitney, which is the highest point in the connected 48 states, which is 14,000 feet, 500, excuse me, 14,505 feet above sea level. And at Badwater Basin, there's a salt flat, which if you take a short hike, you can see the top of Mount Whitney, though it's several miles away. And the illustration is that when we feel like we're at our lowest point, we cannot get any lower if we move, if we look, if we search just a little, we can still see the peak, the highest point. The Father knows us. He loves us. He has his eye on us. And he never stops that love. Are we ready to do business with God? Only each one of us can answer that question. This morning there's some uh, folks that would like to help you with that. If you have some business to do with God, there's going to be the elders and some folks standing around the edge that would like to pray with you, would like to visit with you, would like to wrap their arms around you and hug you and, and love you if you give them that chance. If you have a need, please, please let us know and let's stand and sing.